Hello and welcome back to the How to Become a Doctor podcast. I'm Lucy, a fourth year medical student at the University of Cambridge, and on this podcast we bring you all the information we wish we knew when applying to medicine. Through interviewing inspiring guests in the healthcare world and talking to organisations including the King's Fund and GMC, we'll share our experiences and teach you how to become a doctor. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at How to Become a Doctor with Dr. Spelt DR to keep up to date with everything we're doing. So, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back. So I'm here today with a lovely surgeon called Mr. Ishtiak Ahmed. So before we get started, I'll just ask him to introduce himself to you. Hi, good evening Lucy. My name's uh, Ishtiak Ahmed, uh, usually known as Ish. I'm a cardiac surgeon in Brighton. I do all aspects of adult cardiac surgery, uh, but particularly specialise in the mitral valve. Brilliant. Okay. So for some of our listeners, some of the things you might have said might be a bit confusing. So what actually is a cardiologist? What organ does that deal with? So being a cardiac surgeon, I take referrals from cardiologists. And as a cardiac surgeon, I deal with, as a cardiothoracic surgeon, as a, you are qualified to deal with all organs within the chest. And that can be the lungs, it can be the esophagus, it can be the heart. But as you progress in your training you need to before your final year of training make a declaration of either being cardiac or being thoracic and so I chose cardiac as a speciality so I basically just deal with the heart yeah the heart and the and the aorta okay so what is it that drew you to surgery and I guess to the heart specifically is it something that you knew from the day you were born or from five years old yes I want to operate on the heart or how did it come about yeah so during medical school it was clear that I always was drawn towards the surgical specialties I love the practical nature of it I love the fact that some days you're operating and some days you're in clinic and some days you're looking after patients in the ward I enjoyed anatomy I enjoyed the dissection that we did but I think particularly the practical elements of the job led me to want to do surgery now I didn't always want to do cardiac surgery I actually was always interested in orthopedics and trauma my elective was all orientated around that and I spent a significant amount of time in Washington DC at the trauma center there Wow. But when I when I got back, I realized at that time we didn't really have that level of trauma in the UK. And the trauma centers that we do have now were not set up at that stage. I think even the trauma centers that we do have now in the UK just don't have that volume that we work with over there. And so I kind of looked at what specialities were associated with it. And I, I really enjoyed orthopedics and sports injuries. But then I felt I need to work out what is the basic science that I love and I didn't really enjoy the mechanics which is what orthopedics is really about and I I thought well okay well I really enjoy cardiovascular physiology I I could during the basic science section at medical school I I really didn't want to read any other physiology the gut or the renal system I never really understood any of that but the cardiovascular always seemed to make sense to me and I thought well okay I've got to choose a speciality where I enjoy the basic science and I'm going to love the day-to-day humdrum of the job 
And so I decided to do a junior job, uh, equivalent of a CT job in cardiothoracic surgery, just to see what it was like. And it was a crazy six months because it's really adrenaline fuel speciality, very different to anything else I'd ever experienced. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I realized that they'd look after the whole patient. The surgeons not yeah. only operate, they prep the patient. And postoperatively, they're very closely involved in the care of the patient in cardiac intensive care, the use of inotropes, mm. looking after the renal physiology, the respiratory physiology. And it all seemed to make sense. And I felt I, I want to go through this journey with the patients and, and pursue this, this career. Yeah. So I think the first question that comes to mind, when you said that you were interested in orthopedic, I think one of the things a lot of people worry about is making a decision in medical school, like choosing their elective, choosing their SSCs and their and any projects they're doing because they think they like one specialty and then realizing as they go along that they actually like a different specialty, but they've not, their portfolio isn't shaped around that specialty. So I guess it can be quite concerning for a lot of people when you think you've prepped for one pathway, but actually you realize further down the line that you like something else. So how did you overcome that? What did you do? Yes, so the application process is a little bit different now. At that stage, we used to have to spend a fair amount of time working within a speciality before we got a specialist training job. Okay. Nowadays, the common entry has been ST3 for cardiothoracic training, so it has given them some time. But as we move forward, I know that ST1 entry is going to be even more common for cardiothoracic surgery. So the issue that you raise is really important. So I think what I would advise is even at medical school, in your junior years, just to try and immerse yourself in as many specialities as you can. Mm -hmm. And that is not not only just going to spend time in theatre or looking at the stuff that is really cool, but speaking to the junior doctors, speaking to the trainees, understanding what their lifestyle is like for those seven years of training, and also getting to know what a consultant does and what the life would be in that respect. And it's tricky to gather all that information, but I think if you do that, you will be able to have a better idea. I don't think it's a disaster if you do decide to change because the generic components of having good audit trails, having published, having done some research, presented abstracts at national or international forums, all of those things are super important. And just because it's not in exactly the same speciality, I, I don't think would be too important. As long as you demonstrated your commitment to change and showed that you had immersed yourself in your new speciality, at least on a clinical level, on observership roles, and started to look at doing some extra work, just as you had in the speciality which you thought you might pursue. Yeah, okay. And I guess I kind of want to know a bit more about what it's like day-to-day as a cardiothoracic surgeon. So I know you mentioned that it's not just the surgical aspects, but you also prep the patient and sometimes you spend time on the wards. If you could talk me maybe through a typical week then, what, what sorts of things are you doing? Yeah, so my week currently involves 
either two or three full days of operating. It usually includes one clinic and usually a morning where I do my ward rounds, catching up on the patients who are awaiting surgery, speaking to the pre-admission nurses. That also leaves time in the week to get involved with my medical students who I teach and do some research projects with and also try and get some time for myself. You know, I've got a young family of three girls, all under eight. And, you know, I want to get involved in their schooling, taking them to school, bringing them back. And so I try and make my week efficient. And when I'm at work, I try and be full on. And then when I'm not at work, especially now that we can do some remote administrative work, I I try and be present for them. The operating days effectively start early. So that I'm in work by seven o'clock yeah. in the morning. I usually go and review all the scans of the two patients that I will operate on that day. I go and speak to the patient, check in that everything is fine. The evening before, I've usually checked in with the registrar and checked that nothing new has changed since they saw me last in clinic. We then do, usually do two cases. A regular cardiac case is about three or four hours long. And then in, in between the cases, I usually catch up with the guys on the ward because I'm usually on call one of those days when I'm operating. I do a quick skip around the ward, troubleshoot any problems, see any new referrals, see anybody new that has been referred into the hospital, look at their scans, arrange transfers, and then go back into the second case. And then... After finishing the second case, usually hang around to make sure they're not bleeding, they're hemodynamically stable, there might be some other on-call issues, do another wardrobe at the end of the day. So the operating days are long. Yeah. Um, the clinics are good, great, because I get to see not only the new patients, but those who have had surgery. And that, that's actually a really nice part of the week because they tell you what they're doing now what they're able to achieve how much better they are than before the operation so it's usually a nice morning just having a chat and realizing how the surgeon and the team have changed somebody's life wow I can only imagine how amazing that must feel so you you're specialized in uh, mitral valves right is is that correct so the surgeries that you're doing and they like valve replacements or what's the surgery focused on so cardiac surgery as an adult cardiac surgeon you usually deal with all aspects of the heart so that's revascularization valves atrial fibrillation some people may go into transplantation or mechanical support which is a subspecialty in itself but all of these things i've just mentioned as we move on in our speciality they're becoming more and more subspecialized so To say that I primarily deal with only one valve in the heart might sound quite bizarre, or you might think, oh my goodness, that is quite unifocal, it's quite boring. But the subspecialty, whether that's revasc or the aortic valve or the aorta or the mitral, they've developed so much that there's a huge amount of work within each one of those subspecialties. So yes, I specialize in the mitral valve, I specialize in mitral valve repair rather than replacement. And that is a real technique. It's an, I nearly said it's an art form, but yeah. I, can't, I can't really 
I don't want to give it something that it's not, but one of the pioneers, actually, I know you work in Cambridge, one of the pioneers was Frank Wells at Papworth Hospital, and he very much compares the architecture of the Mitral Valve to some of the pictures that Leonardo da Vinci drew. It's a really complex structure, and to repair it involves a real deep understanding of the valve and the geometry of the ventricle around it. So it takes a long time to learn how to do it, but we know that outcomes for patients are much better if we repair. And in addition, the other thing that I, I have developed and trained in is minimal access cardiac surgery and particularly minimal access mitral valve surgery. And that's trying to do this surgery through small holes. So I think that's what I love about this speciality is that even now, you know, I've been a consultant nearly 10 years and I'm learning new techniques and refining things that I've started to develop over the last four years. So it, it just keeps me interested. It keeps me wanting to go back to work. And I'm excited. On the days that I'm operating, I'm excited to operate. You know, I, sometimes I can't sleep very well the night before. And that's because I love operating. It's, it's a really rewarding thing. It's like yeah. my children play Lego. I find it fascinating reconstructing things within the heart. Yeah, I think that's when you know you're in the right specialty, don't you? <laughs> I think when I talk to my colleagues about surgery, I think the main concern that I hear is, A, the idea of like not being able to manage a work-life balance. But I, I mean, you have, as you said, three young girls and a family. So how do you manage that? Is it just being efficient in work? Can you do it through training? It's not easy. And it has taken me a fair number of years as a consultant to really separate out the work from the home commitment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's only since I've had children that it has really brought it home to me how much more efficient I could be at work. As a surgeon, you really feel responsible for your patients. As a new consultant, I remember sitting by the bedside, staying late at night, watching the drains of the urine output or looking at the cardiac physiology. But at some point, you have to be able to take yourself away and allow the guys who are on the deck looking after these patients overnight to take responsibility. And you start learning to manage remotely by telephone you understand the complexities of certain operations or the skill sets of those people on the floor and you become attuned to that and understand what you can manage from the telephone and what you need to manage at work I've really had to be strict with being really super efficient at work so when I'm at work I I'm always trying to do something if it's a break or if I've got a time out of theatre I might be doing a ward round if it's a lunch break I'll be signing letters electronic or if the registrar is opening the case or closing the case I'll be catching up on pre-operative workup or catching up with a pre-admission nurse which means that I mean cardiac surgery is a busy life and not everybody manages to get that balance but a lot of it is dependent on your colleagues I'm lucky I've got good colleagues I work mm. with and we all try and give each other room. So if I am on call, I'll, I'll try and make sure my other colleagues are not hanging around looking at a problem. You know, I make sure I try and tell them to go home. And, you know, I know I can rely on them to do the same with me. So invariably, in cardiac surgery, once I've finished, 
I can usually get home to read my kids a story pretty much four out of five nights. And that is super important to me. There are days when I don't operate. And on those days, I have tried to build into my job plan that I can take my girls to school and I can try and bring them home. Because on those administrative days, clinics usually start at nine o'clock. And when you've got a, a regular ward day and you're not in the operating room, you can dictate a little bit clearer when you're going to start and when you're going to finish. And a lot of things you can do remotely, especially now that we've got remote um, meetings through COVID. And I really tried to do that. And I think it's really super important for your own well-being. And I know this is something that has only really started to be talked about on social media and, and in medicine in particular over the last couple of years and um, before I know in surgery it was very well thought of to do a 100 hour shift or to start an on-call on a Friday and yeah and go home on a Monday and I remember doing that starting work on a Friday and not actually coming back to the hospital until a Monday and I've experienced the consequences of that I've had a car accident, for example, on the way home from work uh, as a junior doctor after wow. doing those kind of shifts. And as I've grown a little bit into my speciality, I've realised that medicine is a long game. The NHS mm -hmm. is never going to truly personally thank you. You have to get the gratification from looking after your patients, from the type of work that you do by choosing the right speciality. But at the end of the day, whether you're a cardiac surgeon or a brain surgeon or an endocrinologist, it's a job and you have to do it because you love it and you put everything into it when you're there, but you need some downtime. Somehow you have to build it in. Yeah, I mean, some days I go to work, I'm, I'm lucky I live in Brighton, so I might go for a swim in the sea on the way to work or go to the gym on the way to work. And you have to try and build it in, whichever way you do it. Well, it sounds like a very interesting specialty. And I guess the challenges that you face with the time management being it's such a full-on specialty is kind of balanced by the rewards that you get from patients who are so thankful when you've put in that time to help them. And also with the learning, the constant uh, evolution of the specialty, I guess, trying new things with these you know, minimally invasive surgeries. And I was just wondering, where do you think it's going to go next? What, what's next in cardiothoracic surgery? So... With cardiac surgery, there's been a lot of changes, primarily because the cardiologists have been doing a lot more intervention. So the cases that we deal with now are a little bit more complex. They're mm -hmm. usually a little bit older. They've got more comorbidities. So there are definitely more challenging cases that we are dealing with. They're not the slam dunk cases that we used to have eight or nine years ago. And in that respect, there's new technologies emerging that we need to be able to offer these patients. And so that might be minimally invasive surgery so that you reduce the trauma to the patient, they have less pain, they receive less blood, they mobilize quicker. Or it might be new devices or percutaneous techniques where you don't have to stop the heart. There are repair models out there now that you can pop a little harpoon into the apex of the heart through the left chest while it's beating under live echo guidance, capture the leaflets and try and repair it that way. And we've undergone, some, my, me and a colleague have undergone some training and we're hoping to introduce that in 
Brighton. So I think new devices, minimally invasive techniques, and also heart failure. Heart failure, people are living older mm. now, uh, heart disease is not going away. And heart failure therapy will also expand. And that's mechanical devices and also yeah. heart and lung transplantation will continue to expand. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I guess with our aging population, a lot of the time that I'm spending in wards is trying to decide whether this person is too frail for surgery or whether they think that it could be a, a positive step in the right direction for that patient. And I guess it's adapting to, to the patients that we're going to be treating in the future. So do you work a lot with like engineers or companies that are building these mechanical mm. things for the heart? So th- those opportunities are there. I would love to be able to do more work with yeah. those people with the brains behind these kind of devices. Mm. We do get some collaborative work with industry. They often come in, into theatre and we try and help when we can to try and share with them what our problems are with the kit that we have. And often they go away and they design new retractors or new instruments to try and make our life easy. I think you brought a really good point up. And I, I think if I ever had any more time or if I got the opportunity to work with an engineer, I think that is definitely something I would like to do. I mean, I remember actually... I met, um, when I was a junior doctor, one of my inspirations, one of those key moments where I thought, wow, I, I think I want to be a cardiac surgeon. Was I met Albert Starr. He invented the Starr valve, one of the first mechanical valves. He came when I was a junior doctor in Leeds to the hospital to give a talk. He turned up in a white stretch limousine and I carried his bag. Oh he was from America. I carried his bag up to the lecture theatre. And he talked, but afterwards over lunch, he met all of us as, and I was a junior doctor in the team. And he talked to us about how he sat with one of his friends who was an engineer in the bottom of his garden in a shed. And they just worked out between them how they might take out a valve from a dog and replace it with something that they had made. And I thought that journey that they took was just incredible and 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 their initiative and entrepreneurship really translated and transformed cardiac valvular surgery and there are other stories like that from for example professor james cox and you can meet these people at various conferences it's like being it's like going to a world cup match and seeing lionel messi and ronaldo there and being able to just sit down with them and ask them how did you do it can i ask you about this problem i've got in theater how how do i solve this and that is the beauty of medicine and surgery is that we're all talking the same language the world is a very small place and it gives you an opportunity to go and lies with inspirational people like this and I think that's something that I really want to bring across is that you have to go and find the people that will inspire you to get interested in your specialities I think one of the things I've learned is that you really need a good mentor and Mm -hmm. you need a different uh, mentor at different stages of your training I've just been through a bit of a lull period I suppose during my consultant work and I've been leaning on colleagues it's always easy to bounce ideas off them but recently I've found an, a really helpful professor in Germany who I met at a conference and now 
I just give him a call. He's a world expert and well-renowned and he loves, he's so happy to help. But Torsten Dunst, I'll give, it, I'll give him a shout out. Torsten Dunst, he's an amazing cardiac surgeon. And he just called me today because I texted him this morning. And this evening he, he called me, he said, right, I've got the answer to what you're doing tomorrow, this complex case. Let me run through this through you and I'm going to send you a couple of videos tonight. So I think the key is find a good mentor, go and work with people that love their job, go and work with people who are pioneers in their field. I, for example, have been very lucky. I spent a lot of time with a couple of surgeons in Lyon and in Belgium who basically started minimal access mitral valve surgery. Yeah. And after trained with them, they shared with me all their techniques, which meant that I came back to the UK and I really felt like I'd uh, transformed my operating practice and I could bring this into the unit I work in here. Yeah, I think it's so cool the, like how much we learn from each other. Just the, being able to go, go abroad and meet other people working in your fields. I guess sometimes when it's just you in the hostel, you can feel kind of alone. And then I think the, you know, the virtual age, you sort of bring everyone together over geographical constraints. So I think it's really amazing that they were able to share that with you and that you were able to bring it back here to help help patients in England as well. So it's really cool. Yeah. So I guess just to bring the episode to the close, if you had any advice for medical students wanting to pursue cardiothoracic surgery, what would it be? There is a, a very standard matrix to get into cardiothoracic surgery. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at ST1 level and at ST3 level. You can Google it and you'll see what the requirements are. And I would advise if you're a medical student or even if you're an F1 doctor to look at that matrix and slowly start building your portfolio around that. And it includes things like exposure to theatre, doing audits, any research, any publications that you've done. Go and spend time with a in a cardiothoracic unit. Find a consultant that likes teaching or, or is quite willing for you to come and just observe. Get to know all the other members within the department and get involved in projects and immerse yourself within the specialty in the in the time that you have. I think that that would be the key steps to make to be successful in your application. Um, yeah, I think just one other thing I'd, I'll try and promote is that I have an Instagram site called at cardiac underscore education. And it was set up during COVID, but the real purpose of it is just to give snapshots of information to anybody interested in cardiac surgery. Sometimes there's videos of operations, sometimes there's notes to various guidelines or certain uh, articles or new developments. So please feel free to check that out and I can be contacted through that um, site also. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. It was really lovely having you on the podcast. Welcome. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want more, be sure to check out all our previous episodes ranging from our highly popular open pods, UCAT, BMAT and interview advice episodes and more. Keep an eye out for our new series this academic year and make sure to follow us on our Instagram at how to become a doctor with Dr. Spelt DR for more and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode. See you next time. Bye.